Welcome to Funding the Dream, the number one podcast for the number one crowdfunding platform, Kickstarter. Now here's your host, Richard Bliss. Welcome to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter, and I'm Richard Bliss, the host. And this episode, we're going to have, my guest is somebody who's been on the show before and has done something very different in the crowdfunding space. We're going to talk to somebody who's done success on Kickstarter, but they're also doing a crowdfunding on a equity-based crowdfunding, which is different than most anything that we've had on the show before. And so my guest is Michael Mendez from Tasty Minstrel Games. Michael, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Richard. And it's on microventures. Thank you. What did I say? Dot com. You, well, you, I think maybe you spaced the name because you haven't said it a lot. So I have it. Microventures.com. That's good to know. Now, we have yeah. some rules that we need to go over before we start into the podcast, which is unusual because usually it's a free-flowing conversation. But in this case, when it comes to equity crowdfunding, there are some rules that we need to follow. Do you want to go, ahead and go over those rules? Yeah, uh, so I cannot solicit investment off of the platform. It's SEC rule, um, and so I'm going to follow it. Any, I'm, I'm, as usual, I am happy to answer any question that you ask. Um, in this case, if it's something that I think could be construed as solicitation because it comes off um, as super positive outlook – because of the way that I would answer, then I'll just say, I don't feel that I can answer that, or I'll give a partial answer. Additionally, I cannot make any forward-looking projections about what could or should happen. Got it. Got it. Okay. So those are kind of the rules that we're going to operate from. And uh, Michael and I, you and I are going to try to, to abide by those rules so that the listeners know that you're not – there might come a time where you can't answer, but it's not because you're being evasive or anything like that, but because there are specific rules. And this is something due, This is something new when it comes to equity-based crowdfunding versus what we call rewards-based crowdfunding, right? Equity-based crowdfunding is the idea that I'm going to raise money. And I'm going to ask people to give me money to invest in the company itself and give equity in return for that. And it's interesting that the rules are different here because we're dealing with nearly 100 years of financial investment uh, background, right? The SEC is involved. There are certain yeah. rules when it comes to – you're a financial guy. What kind of – where do those rules come from? So in 1934 – came the Securities Regulation Act, I forget exactly what it was called, and it was put in place to protect regular people. And fast forward to 2012, I think the Jobs Act was passed, you have a situation where you have very private financing options if you were a business at a small scale, private only. And then if you're at a large scale, like with a rate IPO on the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ or whatever, something where you're raising $500, $600 million, $1.2 billion or whatever, right? And there's no range in between. Uh, that is, the legislators, and I think rightly so, felt like that was too wide of a gap. Um, so – the Jobs Act came in and provided a space where you can have a smaller investment. We're talking about several hundred thousand up to a million dollars on the crowdfunding uh, title. On the the other parts of the act, there you can get up to like $50 million. And the costs are much lower. The 
um, the strenuous nature of disclosure and everything and auditing and all of that is lower as well. Um, and the, the crowdfunding one, non-accredited investors can invest. And so mo- the majority of people are non-accredited because to be accredited, you have to either have a million dollars in assets or a really, really high income and some very large amount of assets. And so this opens up a financing option where you are giving ownership in the company in exchange for money that is because you're going to regular people is more attractive than going to a venture capitalist who might be investing in a hundred companies and only needs one or two of them to work out. And in fact, wants everybody who got the investment to go for the home run, regardless of if it, you know, makes the business completely fail right. because they just need the home run. They need right? the exit strategy. They need they need their money back out versus a long-term growth strategy for building a future a product. Right. And, and so this, the JOBS Act, um, makes re- new regulation in that space in between. And because you are dealing with unaccredited investors, you have to be – you basically can't say anything positive about your company. You can provide factual information and allow people to make uh, decisions. As a former retail financial advisor, I recognize just um, how important it is to not try to sway people one or the one way or the other on this. So, right. anything that I answer that I think would be like, yes, we're going to do this awesome thing and it's going to lead to great results. Anything like that, I won't answer. Right. right? And so it's interesting so. because you talked about facts. And so one of the things that, that comes out of this kind of approach is that you need to make all of basically, you need to pull back the curtain and you need to say, here, if you invest in my company, here's what's going on. No secrets, no surprises. Here's how much I'm paying. Here's how much I'm making. Here's how much Here's how my business is doing. And so that's been, I think, a, a, a very illuminating for a lot of people because you have filed paperwork that shows what Tasty Minstrel Games has been doing financially over the last few years. Yep. And any questions that are asked, then one of the reasons that all this has to happen on the portal is because it makes a very easy place to verify that I'm not violating any rules and I believe the portal has some responsibility. Like if I say something that's in violation, they have to cut that off real fast and, and let me know that and all sorts of potential problems. Um, but, uh, any, any question that I answer anywhere, but also on the platform must be factual. It must be factual because if it's not factual, then I am in violation. Oh yeah. So let's talk and about securities the- laws are and security violating securities law. Go, send you to prison. Right? right. And I'm not interested in that, even if it's the nice cozy prison. So let's talk but. about those, some of these facts, because as you've opened up the books for Tasty Minstrel, your company is similar in size to a lot of Kickstarter project owners out there who have started their own publishing company. You started on Kickstarter, the first, 
uh, and one of the innovators out there who's done it from the beginning. And so you opened up your books and showed, here's how much money I'm making, here's how much money it's costing to stay in business. And I think it's become a a bit of an eye-opener to a lot of people, one, that you were willing to do that, because a lot of people keep that kind of secret sauce behind the curtain. But two, the numbers were a little revealing as well that I think you've said it, this isn't a big money business. The fact that you ra- if you raise a bunch of money on Kickstarter doesn't mean you have a bunch of money to go off and retire in Aruba, that this is a capital intensive industry. And you kind of shown that with, your, with the numbers that you've shown with your books. Right. And so the question... Is, so yeah, what's the question? The question is, is that why would you do that? Why would you step forward? And did you have qualms about opening up the books and showing people what was going on? No, I had no hesitation. I, uh, since the beginning of TMG, I've been as transparent as possible. And I've gone back and forth about revealing sales numbers and revenue numbers and, and doing that on a regular basis anyways. Um, so being required to do that was no great step for me to make. Uh, I, I think it's helpful for people to see. It ha- um, oh, it has been helpful. I've even got feedback. How about you? Have people reached out to you, other business owners, and, and asked more questions or wondered why? Or uh, not, Go ahead. Not in particular. I, I think a lot of people have – the main thing people wonder about is if you're running a company that is producing a gross profit – of 400 so in 2016 we had a gross profit of 475,000 in 2015 our gross profit was 350,000 and what that means is that is our revenue minus our cost to deliver the goods that we sold after that we pay for things like employees and rent and marketing and advertising and travel to conventions to scout for games and to be at conventions to sell games and all of that right and so the main question that I get is why would you have that much profit and then choose to run close to spending all of that money for the future? Um, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel very confident that I can answer that without soliciting. Sure. But the main thing is that I have been trying to build the capacity of TMG. Got it. Over that time frame, And that's why, we spend the money. And then you see that with a lot of folks who do their Kickstarter. They're very successful with that Kickstarter, very successful, meaning they raise a significant amount of money. And then they discover after they've put the, they put the project out there that they don't have any money anymore because it costs so much money to get that game out there, shipping, manufacturing, art, um, all of the things that go into it. That right. It, right. And then you turn around and you have to do that. And unless you're investing for the long term, it makes it very difficult. In the past, how much of your have you had any projects that you have not kickstarted? Did I yes, ask? of course. Okay. And so tell me about a couple of those. Because you have because how many games does TMG have in their in their at the, at this point in time, after eight years of operation, we've released about fifty different titles, including expansions. Uh, not including little promo packs that show up on BGG, but uh, expansions, yes. And about half, uh, I guess about half of those you've kickstarted then, right? Yeah, probably about half. Um, we we didn't get kickstart uh, Guilds of London, for example. That's the one I came up with because I'm looking at the box in my office. Um, right. Yeah. So let's see. What can we what can we talk about? Um, 
Are you going to continue to do Kickstarter? Yes, we will continue to utilize Kickstarter. It is, uh, and going back to what you're talking about, where people raise a bunch of money and then realize it's all gone. They, they, in a lot of cases, they didn't account for the actual cost it was going to for the game or for these additional things that they promised because they raised more money because people are asking for stretch goals. Um, and we had the, the benefit of being early in that we've had lots of quote unquote smaller projects, right? Eminent domain, which raised 46 or $48,000, which was our first project was a lot of money and it was the highest funding game at that time, and I think it held that for like 14 or 15 months. It did, for a long time in the Kickstarter world. Yes, that was a long time. Right? And so today, that's like, yeah, you, you successfully funded, well done, um, but you didn't hit it, you didn't, it's not this huge success. Oh, well, um, so we had the benefit to, to screw things up at a smaller scale where it didn't cause as much problems later. (laughs) But you bring up an interesting point that today's games, Cool Mini or Not, puts out a game, multi-million dollars. Uh, Stonemaier Games puts out uh, Scythe, $1.8 million. You see these game projects that are being put out there that are raising multitudes of millions of dollars. And yet, based on my reading of the rules, when it comes to equity-based crowdfunding, the most you can raise is a million dollars. Correct. Right? And so I look at, Jamie Stegmeyer, or I look at the folks over at Cool Mini or not and say, why would you, why would you raise, why would you ask, why would you give away your company, pieces of your company for a million dollars versus just continuing to generate and sell projects? You know, Jamie didn't have to give away any of his company for that 1.8 million. And so how would you answer that? How would you respond to that? So I have been, I'm 35 and I've been a gamer for three decades, at least like all of the time that I could playing games, thinking about games has been spent on games. And, um, my wife and I, we live a, um, what would certainly would have been 20 years ago, an upper middle class life. Maybe it's a middle class life. Now, neither of us have any desire for it to be any more fancy. Um, I'm doing what I love. I get paid enough to live my life. I have no need or desire um, for more personal things like uh, a, a boat or a uh, right. or an RV or any of these other things that I see other people getting, right? I have no desire for any of that, and neither does my wife. Um, and so I don't need to hold on to – I don't feel like I need to hold on to ownership in my company, right? Because if – so the valuation that we put it at, that we're asking people to invest at, was three million dollars before, um, before investment, and there's a three hundred thousand dollar value option pool for employees that excludes me, included in the in in this. So. Um, if you include the option pool, fully diluted, three point three million, right before investment. Um, you know, I if I could sell the company for that, I don't think I would. But if I could, I would have very little need for more money 
for the rest of my life, right? I mean, I can work and whatnot. So I have no, no like desire to be this bajillionaire. So that is one factor. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and getting, since I, I don't like for the potential 25% that people would get for investing, that only has value to me at a point in time where I sell the company. Got it. Right. And I would rather have the money right now inside of the company to make it so successful. that we could afford right. to take some some speculative risks on on a game that we might like to make. But as it turns out, it would take a lot of effort from a lot of the people who work at TMG, right? But we're, and we're not comfortable expending that effort if we don't have the cash from an equity investment, for example. Got it. Uh, things like that are are the reasons why. Plus, um, if gamers are investing, and I think. I think we have a pretty good relationship with our audience, uh, and if that people in that audience decided to invest in the company, they would have that much more interest in our games being played when they're at the game night than yeah. before, right? right? I, you know, when I was a kid and I had, uh, you know, invested in Microsoft stock, I, I was very interested in Microsoft products, but. The typical example is, uh, or a prototypical example is, Warren Buffett drinks Coca-Cola. He drinks like two Cokes a day. Why? Because he owns a bunch of Coca-Cola stock. People consume the products for the companies in which they have ownership. Interesting. That's an interesting perspective. On the we only have a couple of minutes. Uh, this has been a fascinating conversation. Oh, yeah, I know. We've uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, so, is this for everybody? Should other game companies be looking at the route that you've taken because this is a route that, that is a, is a one-size-fit-all or is there a pers- pers- particular circumstances that would have a game company decide? We've got about 90 seconds or so left. I think it is not for everybody um, because you need to have an existing business model. You need to have proven track record. You need to have a relationship with an audience. You need to be okay with bringing on investors. There's a lot of things going on there that if you just said, hey, I'm going to make – and you had no track record before. Like maybe if I sold TMG and I came back and I said, hey, equity crowdfunding, I'm me. Look, I did this. Uh, then maybe you had something, right? But if you were just starting as a complete noob, then no. Got it. And then how long, as we wrap up here, on microventures.com – we all know how Kickstarter works. Is there a time limit of where you're able to invest in a particular uh, project? Does it run for a certain amount of time? Is it a – I mean – It does run for a certain amount of time. Ours ends on April 30th. Got it. And is there an ongoing track record like Kickstarter shows how close you are to reaching that goal? Does uh, MicroVentures do the same thing? Yeah, and we're already past our, our funding goal of 50000 Got it. All right. Michael, I always appreciate when you come on the show because you educate myself as well as I'm assuming many of my listeners. And I certainly appreciate the openness and transparency that you've provided so that we can all see how this equity side is impacting the game industry. Thank you for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure. 
You've been listening to Funding the Dream on Kickstarter. My guest has been Michael Mendez, owner of TMG, and we've been talking about his decision to take his company and go through microventures.com for an equity crowdfunding round. Very different than Kickstarter and the rewards-based, and it's been very educational and helpful, and I appreciate Michael being on the show. Thanks for listening. Take care.